cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. I sing glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. fountain that saves from sin. I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. I sing glory to his name. Glory to his Yeah. 
Chronicles. Woo! Good night. Got my friend from North Carolina here tonight, and I'll tell you like the North Carolinans used to say, that was good as snuff and wasn't half as dusty. <laughs> and a uh, little inside joke there. Let's take our Second Chronicles chapter 26. And you keep singing that heaven song, we might have revival. You might not, but I will. <laughs> but uh, my goodness. And uh, how many got loved ones in heaven right now? Yeah. Don't you know that it's real? Yeah. Now, in case you haven't noticed, like, I, the stuff we sing about, I, I believe it. Amen. I mean, I really believe it. Yeah, you sing songs about heaven, I'll sh- sometimes I'll shout, sometimes I'll weep. And I've got a lot of loved ones. It's several, about three or four weeks ago, I did a funeral for my cousin's little baby. And uh, we got there to the cemetery. The little baby only made it two months. And I got to the cemetery there, and I've done three or four funerals at that same funeral home there in Portage, Indiana. And I got there and began to preach the gospel like I always do. And by the way, 15 people received Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I got there like I've done so many times before, and, and we had the funeral there, and the Lord really blessed and gave peace, and then we took that walk. It's but a short walk to the cemeteries right there on the same property, and they grabbed that little, that little casket there, and two of the men grabbed the casket, the brothers of the wife, that's not my cousin's wife there, and carried that little baby's casket over to that cemetery plot. And just beside that little baby's plot, it had a little grave marker there, and it had a little date, and it was two months of his little life. Right next to him was his brother, who was born and passed away the same day. Right next to him was his sister, who was born and passed away on the same day. I could not imagine what it would be like. We lost our first pregnancy. I could not imagine what it's like. Here you have to go to a cemetery and your one baby you're burying today and two others right beside them. And then right beside them is my Uncle Jerome's grave. Uncle Jerome was led to Christ by a man in our church, Brother Ray Eldridge, who lived to be 93 years old. He was a fighter in World War II. He fought, fought under General Patton in the Battle of the Bulge. And then right next to him is... My uncle's other son, his middle son, Troy, who at 41 years of age was on the job and gone that fast. What can I say today? Because by their testimony, my cousin Troy is saved. He's in heaven. My uncle Jerome, saved. He's in heaven. Those little babies, I love it. David said, my baby won't come to me, but I'm going to go where he is. Amen. That's good. My mind goes back to heaven, and when I think of those type of songs. And God just gave me a little bit of rejoicing last night as I thought about that. Here's grandpa with three of his little grandbabies in a reunion in heaven. And his son's there with him. And my Aunt Pam's there with him. And my Aunt Carmen, who got saved after 30 years of being a drunkard, got saved. She's there with him. Why? Because there will be a happy meeting in heaven, I know. And thank God for that glad reunion day. When I think about that song, oh my, that, that's a requirement. If, I, if, I, if you do ever have me back again, you, there's like a list of, the list is growing every year, isn't it? Like songs you've got to do while I'm here. And uh, I forgot, He Will Hold Me Fast, by the way. If those other songs weren't so good, I was going to ask you to do He Will Hold Me Fast again. Can we do that five more times before I leave? Okay. 
and I'm telling you, what was that last song called? No, not that one. The last one. Living Hope. Living Hope. I'm telling you. So if you were here last year, I, I like came unglued on the same song. And uh, I'm telling you, man, what, what a worshipful spirit we have. It will not be long tonight. I will tell you like Elizabeth Taylor's told all six of her husbands, I will not keep you for very long. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's terrible. It's bad when Miss Idag says, yeah. It's that, it's, that, it's that motherly look. You know, every mother has that look. You're, and the inside, she's saying, you're an idiot. <laughs> Second Chronicles chapter number 26, I, I will be very direct tonight. The Bible says this, then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and they made him a king in the room of his father, Amaziah. And of course, Judah, if you understand Bible, the kings of the north were called Israel. The kingdom of the north was called Israel. This at the time was a divided kingdom. In the north, they are called Israel. There are 10 tribes. A lot of times we hear Israel and we think the entire nation of, of today. But in the Bible, when the kingdom is split, God refers to the 10 tribes up north uh, and on the other side of the Jordan River there, he refers to them as Israel. And then he refers to the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and Levi is among them as well. Uh, he refers to them as Judah. And the Bible tells us there was a series of kings up in the north that were terrible kings. And then Israel, and then Judah went back and forth, good kings, bad kings, and so forth. But mostly bad kings in the north of Israel. And the Bible says there rose up a young man who was 16 years of age. His name was Uzziah, and he was the son of Amaziah. And we see in verse number three, he, 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. What a reign. And the Bible then begins to describe some things that he did. He did that which was right in verse number four, in the sight of the Lord. What a legacy. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Verse five, he even sought God in the days of Zechariah. Verse number six, he went forth and warred against the Philistines. It's getting better and better. And as my southern friends would say, gooder and gooder. What a wonderful, wonderful time Uzziah's having. Verse number seven, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians and the Mehunims. Look at verse number eight. Even the enemies, the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah and his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt and he strengthened himself exceedingly. This is getting gooder and better and gooder. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. He built towers in the desert. He digged many wells for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains and the husband also in the vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel. And he loved husbandry. Oh, it's just getting better. Nothing can stop him now. Moreover, Uzziah, verse 11, he had a host of fighting men Mm, he even had a posse with him. I mean, he had a squad. He had his peeps. The younger people, he had his gang gang, amen? I haven't figured out what that means yet, but must be a good thing. And the Bible says the whole numbers of his mighty men, verse 12, 
They were 2,600. Could you imagine that? David didn't even have this many mighty men. Here is a king that's getting the job done. He's got all of his lands. He's got all of these wars. God is helping him. He is fortified. He's warring against the enemies of God. The other enemies of God are giving him gifts. Uh, uh, He's got a host of fighting men. He's got 2,600 of of elite, I mean, fighting forces. And then he said the army was 300,000, 7,500 that made war with mighty power against with the king to help the king against the enemy. What a wonderful thing. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout the host of the shields and spears and helmets and habergens and bows and, uh, and slings to cast stones. Look at this verse 15. This is awesome. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. This guy's getting better and better. I remember seeing in Jerusalem on top of the walls, if you would go to today, you would find little slits at the towers because they would shoot. They, would, they, would, they had little simple engines that they would crank up kind of like catapult type things. And they could shoot arrows stronger and faster from those vantage points. But their entire body would be protected except for that little window that they would shoot stones and arrows out of them. What a great king. Oh, but let us draw attention to verse 15. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Everything's going so great. He becomes king at 16. I cannot imagine having that responsibility at 16 years of age. He becomes the king, but then he's doing everything right. He's got the right man. He's got the right enemies. He's got the right God. He's got the right goals in his life. He's got the right army in his life. He's got the inventions in his life. Everything's going great. He's known his fame spread abroad. He strengthened himself. The Egyptians know about him. Those in the north know about him. Those east of the river know about him. He was marvelously helped. He was strong. And now all of a sudden, the apex of his usefulness has been reached. And then when he becomes strong, all of a sudden, he tips this way. Now watch what your Bible says. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God, and he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore and priests of the Lord. Here's 81 men that were valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah. That must have taken some guts. For you to stand up. Now, you and I, we live in a democratic society. Part of our democratic society is we are able to stand up to our leaders. We are able to say to our leaders what we think about them and what they ought to be doing and sometimes where to go. And uh, we, we, never mind. And uh, we, we get to tell our leaders because of the democratic societies that we live in. But in the Bible days, that did not happen. You remember the story of Esther, how she said, if I perish, I perish. 
Because in her kingdom, the Persian kingdom, she could lose her life in front of King Ahasuerus standing up to him. And it was the same case here. It could be considered rebellion. It could be considered an insurrection if you'd come back to the king and tell him what for. And here these 81 men of God stand up to the king and say, listen, we've got something to say to you. And listen to what they say. It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. You know what they said to him? Look at this verse again. It appertaineth, in verse 18, they withstood him and the king, the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not to thee, Uzziah. Can I rephrase that? Here's the title of the message today. Not my circus, not my monkeys. How many have ever heard that expression before? There's a few. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Say that with me. Not my not my, oh, say it with me one more time. Not my, and not my. Basically, what they were saying to Uzziah is you need to stay in your lane. This burning incense to the God of heaven, that's not your lane. That pertains to the sons of Aaron, the Levites that have separated themselves to the work of the Lord. They have been consecrated to the work of the Lord. And anything in this line right here appertaineth not to thee. Listen to me, Uzziah. That is not your circus. That is not your monkeys. Stay in your own lane is what they said to him. That's what I'm preaching about tonight. Father, I pray that you'd help us from the word of God for the next 15 minutes. I pray that you'd help me to preach exactly what you'd have me preach. Give me clarity of mind. Help me to include everything you'd have me include. Help me to exclude anything that you have me. We'll thank you for it. Save the lost in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we begin to look at this story in the Bible, and let me say to you tonight, most of the Bible and most of human history is somebody getting out of their lane. Can I say that again tonight? Most of human history, most of our problems with humanity, you can look in the Old Testament, you can look in the New Testament, you can look at all the way to today. Most of our problems come when we get out of our lane and don't learn to say, not my, and not my. You say, Brother Allen, where do you get that from? Oh, we can go all the way back. Before Genesis was ever written, there was a man, and his name was Lucifer. He was the light bearer. The Bible called him the anointed cherub that covereth. Ezekiel tells us, oh, he was perfect in his creation. He was beautiful. He had said the voice of thy tabrets and, and vials and string instruments. All these things were within Satan. But what was Satan's one problem? He didn't know how to stay in his own lane because in Isaiah, 
Isaiah, he said this. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. I will sit on the mount of the congregation of the north. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell and to the sides of the pit. And they that look upon thee shall narrowly look upon thee and say, is this he that troubled the nations? What happened with Satan? Satan didn't learn to say, that's not my circus and that's not my monkey. Satan basically didn't know how to stay in his lane. He wanted to operate in God's lane, didn't he? He wanted the glory for himself. He wanted the honor for himself. It said he was perfect until iniquity was found within him. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from the sky. The Bible says this, not a novice, when it talks about hiring a pastor, it says not a novice, least being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Bible says everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination unto God. Let me tell you tonight, uh, uh, that's why the Bible says uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, and the first thing he says is humble yourselves. You know why? Because Satan didn't know how to stay in his lane. Do you know right now the reason you are here tonight and the reason that you are a sinner is because Adam and Eve didn't know how to stay in their lane. Say, but Alan, how do you know this? Because the Bible says that Satan, when he came to Adam and Eve, you know what his appeal to them was? You can be just like God. What they should have said to the devil as he came by, and he said, oh boy, look at that fruit over there. Look at those, uh, it's, look, it's good to make food from. What Eve should have said, Satan, let me tell you a thing or two. That fruit over there, it is not mine, and it's not mine. That's what Eve should have said. She should have said, I'm going to just stay in my lane over here. God said, stay over here. God said, don't go over there. So I'm going to mind my own business. I'm going to stay in my own lane. And Adam and Eve plunged us all into a sinfulness. Wherefore, is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But the root of it all is somebody didn't know how to stay in their own lane. You're going to be like God. Because that's exactly where Satan wanted to be. Stay in your lane. Oh, we can look at Abraham, can't we? We can look at Abraham. Uh, and God said, Abraham, I got a plan for your life. Uh, but I want you to stay in your lane. Uh, Sarah said, oh, no, Abraham. I know God said this. And we're going to have a baby at 90 and 100 years old. But I got my own land. I got my own circus. And I got my own monkeys. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down and get that little Egyptian handmaid that we have called Hagar. And we're going to get Hagar together. And you're going to go in unto her. And you're going to father her children. Do you know why there is war in the Middle East right now? Do you know why there will never be peace until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know why that is? Because somebody didn't say, not my circus and not my monkeys. Could you imagine what the world would be like today if Sarah would have just stayed in her own lane? I'd be paying a lot less for gasoline <laughs> if Sarah just simply said, not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm just going to let God be God. I'm going to let my husband be my husband and I'm going to stay in my own lane. Oh, you can go to Job's friends and find out. Job's friends, the Bible says you are miserable comforters. 
Do you know why? Because instead of just comforting Job, instead of saying, Job, we're here for you during the hard time, they begin to judge him. And they begin to say, well, God's doing this because of this, and God's doing it. You better be careful. Y'all listening to me tonight? You better be careful when you look into somebody else's life and you're trying to determine whether God is judging them or not, because that is not your circus, and that is not your monkey. You've got one responsibility, and that's make sure your carcass is in the house of God and right with God. You ought to stay in your own lane. Isn't it amazing how we can point out sin and somebody else's life but when it comes to our own lane we'll ignore it we'll strain it a net and we'll swallow a camel about our own sin job's wife needed to stay in her own lane just like some of us need to stay in our own lane oh we can look at saul saul did you obey the commandment of the lord Yes, I did. Oh, what meaneth the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen then? Matter of fact, Saul, you're down there sacrificing with, among the sons of the prophets. What are you doing? Well, I was just down here. No, Saul, what you should have said, even if you got an invitation from somebody else, you should have said, not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm the king. I'm not a priest. I'm just going to stay in my lane. And you wonder why God came back to him and he said, listen to me, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity. And because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected thee from being king. Listen. And then he said this, obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul, what he's saying is that was not your circus. That was not your monkeys. Your job was to obey. Your job was not to sacrifice and stay in your lane, Saul. God said to David, David, stay in your lane. God said, David, don't you number the people. Don't you number the people, David. And David didn't stay in his lane. And all of a sudden, thousands, tens of thousands of men die because David just simply couldn't say, not my circus. Well, how many we got? It doesn't matter how many we got because God told me to stay in my lane and thousands of kids are without daddies and thousands of wives are without husbands and thousands of workplaces are without employees all because David wouldn't stay in his lane. My soul, we can go to Aaron and Miriam. Moses, we know what. We can handle this just like you can. Matter of fact, the fact that you married that black woman, we got a problem with that. And all of a sudden, when they dipped into somebody else's circus and monkeys, God said, now you're going to have leprosy. They, what, what Aaron should, when his sister came to Aaron, when Miriam came over, or Aaron came to her and said, what do you think about his wife? What do you think about his wife? One of them should have rose up and said, not my circus, not my monkeys. One of the brother or sister should have piped up and said, listen, stay in your lane. But nobody did. And judgment came. Hey, Cora, Cora, you better stay in your lane. Mary and Cain of Galilee, stay in your lane. It's not time to perform miracles. Woman, what have I? I don't, man, I, I thought I couldn't have did that. If I would have said, woman, what am I to do with thee to Regina Allen, I'd have woke up last week. <laughs> but you know what Jesus was saying to Mary? He, what he was saying to Mary was, Mary, it's not your circus, it's not your monkeys. Stay in your lane, mama. Hey, 
Judas? Oh, we could have sold that money and we could have given it to the poor. Judas, stay in your lane. That's not your circus. That's not your monkeys, Judas. Peter, as he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, and Jesus has to tell him another time, get thee behind me, Satan. You know why? Because it wasn't Peter's circus and it wasn't his monkey. Peter, you better stay in your lane. Here's Peter. Could you imagine telling Jesus, no, you can't go to the cross? Could you imagine the arrogance and the stupidity to stand in the way of God Almighty? Let me tell you, son, you're not only in the wrong lane, you're on the wrong highway, in the wrong country, on the wrong continent. You might not be in the same reality realm either. You're in that multiverse somewhere. I'm telling you tonight, Peter, you better stay in your own lane. Can I say to you, and we could, we could go, Jezebel, stay in your lane. You know, Ahab is dead tonight because Jezebel couldn't stay in her lane. Absalom, stay in your lane. Alexander the coppersmith, stay in your lane. And we can go time after time after time after time. And we can quote, it appertaineth not to thee. What are you doing? Can I say to you tonight? Can I tell you why some of your homes and some of you tonight are frustrated and you can't? Revival is, listen, it's stopping when it comes to you. It's not able to fully permeate through your house. Do you know why? Can I tell you why? Because some of us are so frustrated because we're worried about somebody else's lane instead of our own. Can I tell you tonight, it is not your job to see if anybody else in this building tonight has revival except for the bottom that you're sitting on. Did you know that? Did you know the only person to have revival that you control tonight is the person that you shaved this morning? Ladies, just kidding. And uh, do you know? It's like you compliment somebody on on, on their mustache and suddenly she's not your friend anymore. (laughs) I need to repent of that later, but guess what? The only one you can control. Can I tell you tonight? You you can't do one blessed thing to make sure your wife has revival. Now, your lane is to be the husband that you ought to be so that peradventure God does grant her revival and repentance that you don't hinder her. But your job is to make sure you're right with God and her job is to make sure she's right with God. This is why the Bible, when it deals with husbands and wives, listen, it says, even children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then it says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And then guess what it says? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Thank you all for shouting right there. And then you know what it says right after that? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Can I tell you what, though? The most frustrated I am in my life is when I don't stay in my own lane. You know, as a husband, my wife has a lane. And when I start getting in her lane and she starts getting in mine, come up, it gets real quiet when you get into this stuff, doesn't it? 
I know some of you are saying, what does this have to do with revival? Husbands, dwell with your wives according to wisdom and knowledge. That your prayers be not hindered. Do you know the fact, sir, that you are an old grump and you're worried about the, listen, you're worried about the biscuits that were burned 15 years ago, but you have been an absolute grump and a, and a sour puss and hard to deal with, but you think it's justified. Listen to me. Don't you worry about your wife. How about you stay in your lane and make sure you're right with God, that your prayers be not hindered. Amen. You know why? Because that's not your circus and not your monkeys. Can I tell you the church members, oh my soul tonight, I know I'm meddling. Can I tell you the most frustrated church members in this building are those that don't stay in their own lane. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I'll tell that pastor, uh, he's got a boss. It's Miss Ida. No. <laughs> you know what the Bible says? Who's the head of the church? Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And you know what? We say, whoa, whoa, what? what? I had a young man. I preached this message to our teenagers in our church. And I had a young man come up to me after the service. And he, he doesn't go to our church because hopefully he would have known better than to say what he was about to say to me. He didn't go to our church, but he came over to me after the service with an arrogant, pompous attitude. And he said this. He said, but, but what if the preacher's wrong and I need to rebuke him? After I stepped back in case there was a lightning bolt that came down. I said, young man, who do you think you are? Do you know that your Bible says rebuke not an elder, but to entreat him as a father? That's what your Bible says. You know what? In other words, stay in your lane. And then he began to backpedal so fast, he almost went through the back wall. I didn't mean... I said, no, your lane is to be a teenager and to close your mouth and listen to your mom and dad. There's some teenagers in this room. You know how everything in the church ought to be run. You know how the mom and daddy are doing it. You can't even keep your room clean more than two days in a row. Because that's their circus. That's their monkeys. But I'd rather talk about how my mom and dad aren't perfect. And our lane is decrepit. Listen, our lane is worse than a Michigan highway with potholes. So, I mean, you can lose a Mack truck in that thing. I'm telling you, we're, our lane is falling apart. Uh, listen, that, that lady in uh, Song of Solomon, she said, listen, other vineyards have I kept and mine own vineyard have I not kept. Some of you are worried about the person down the pew from you getting revival. You're worried about the kids down there and your kids are little angels, aren't they? They just so happen to fall when Satan did. But anyways, but they're angels. You know what? I'm going to tell you why you're frustrated. You're frustrated at everybody else's kids. And we don't even see our own sometimes. Can I tell you deacons? I don't even know who they are. I don't even know who your deacons are in this church. Can I tell you deacons? The most blessed you could be would be to stay in your lane. Nowhere in that scripture are you going to find that the deacons are there to make sure the pastor does right. Now, a good pastor is going to make himself accountable. But scripturally, oh, you know, God, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. That's the attitude. 
But here's what I've learned over the years. God can take care of his man pretty good. Our lack of faith to let God do what he's supposed to do and let you do what you're supposed to do is staggering. And we have churches all over our nation and churches all around the world that are rising up against pastoral authority, not because they're evil even necessarily, but because they never learn to stay in their own lane and say, not my circus, not my monkeys. Listen to me, kids. Well, my parents aren't perfect. Well, why would he give you to perfect parents? Your job is to kids stay in your lane. And listen, the most wonderful place to be, I, I loved being a teenager, except for the pimples. I loved it. You know why? I didn't have a bill. I didn't have to wake up for anything special. I didn't have to make sure any other rugrats were, were cared for. I didn't have to buy clothes. I didn't have to buy shoes. Listen, teenagers, stay in your lane. It is awesome. Wait till you have to start buying stuff. I want to stay in that lane as long as I possibly can. You know why? Not my circus, not my monkeys. We could go on and on tonight, but I think you get the point. Watch this. Watch Uzziah. Here's his problem. Number one. His problem was his pride. It was his pride. The Bible said, when he, your, your Bible, look at this verse, he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Excuse me, point number one, his power. He had his own power. Watch this. Can I tell you one of the number one hindrances of revival in your heart? You're too strong. You're too strong. You see, Jesus, remember when he was talking to Paul, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you know why I believe some evangelists will never see true revival happen? They're too strong. We're too, we rely too much in our own strength, don't we? We rely in our familiarity with the scriptures. We rely on our oratorical abilities. We rely on I've been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. Come on, mom and dads, we can do the same thing, can't we? I know what I'm doing. Well, I've raised kids before. Listen to me. You may raise one the same way as you did another one, but maybe God wanted you to do something different in there. And listen to me today. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not talented enough. You need the help of God. I'm telling you tonight, if I ever needed him, I, as a parent, I need the strength of God. I don't have it figured out. Listen to me tonight. I don't have marriage figured out. I don't have revival figured out. I don't have, listen, missions. I don't think I have it figured out. And I think if we could ever get to the place again where we would say, Lord, I'm not strong enough. Your strength is made perfect and we need you that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I need his power. And Uriah said, I got this. I got this. I'm strong now. Remember he said to Saul, when I was little in thine own eyes, you were strong. Not only did he have his own power, watch this, his pride. 
The Bible says his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Think of how prideful you have to be to walk into the temple and start to do things that God never told you to do. I'm going to tell you tonight, if you want revival in your heart, my Bible says God resists the proud. Oh, God, come in. Oh, Spirit, breathe in me and through me. He resists the proud. But if you're humble, he'll give you grace, Brother Cody. He'll give you grace. Don't you know tonight God is not withholding revival from you other than the fact that some of us are too proud and if he were to ever send it to us, we'd have to write a book about it and let everybody know. He not only had his own pride and power, watch this, we're hurrying tonight. He had his own position. He all of a sudden thought he was a priest. You know what I've learned in my life? Just stay where God puts you. And when he moves you, let him move you. Don't let anybody else or your impetuousness, you let God put you in the position that he put you in. God didn't call me to pastor Bethel Baptist Church. Therefore, I don't try to pastor Bethel Baptist Church, even though I've preached here umpteen times. I told the preacher today, I tell every preacher, when you come to me for counsel, if you want to ask advice of me, my first question to you will be, did Pastor Fury send you to me? Y'all listening? Did Pastor Fury send you to me? Because I believe in biblical authority. So therefore, Jesus even says to the disciples, you are entering into another man's labor. And when you listen to me as an evangelist, listen to me, people always want my advice. They want to say, did your pastor, listen to me, I don't want to sacrifice the blessing of God and the power of God on my ministry because I think I have all the answers and I'm trying to play a role that God didn't call me to play. Can anybody hear me tonight? It's not my job. I, I, I am the parent of Aaron, Dylan, and Jaden. I'm not your kid's parents. I am the husband of Kimberly Allen. I'm not your husband. I'm not supposed to play your role. You're not supposed to play my role. Amen. Next. Watch his petulance. Say, what's petulance? He got angry like a little baby. Verse 19, Uzziah was wroth. Now he's ticked off that somebody called him out for his sin. They called him out for his pride. They called him out. And he doesn't like it. And guess what else happens? Last point. Notice his pestilence. The Bible says, as he has the incense in his hand, leprosy even rolls up on his forehead. And then all of a sudden, the priests are casting him out. He's casting himself out. Now watch this. He's only 60, because he reigned 52 years. He is only 68 years old. And he did awesome. For 52 years, he did awesome. And in the last moments of his reign, he gets in God's lane. God says, you got leprosy. Now you're going to die. Can I bring it home tonight? You remember Isaiah chapter 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the temple. And I saw the angels cried one unto another, holy, holy. Watch this. If Uzziah wasn't consumed with his own power, he could have saw the power of God that was shaking and filling that house. If Uzziah didn't have his own pride, he would see the Lord high and lifted up. If Uzziah wasn't purified in his own eyes and his position, he could have saw the angels crying unto the three, three times, holy, holy, holy God. If he didn't have his own position, he could have been the one where God said, here am I, send me, go do this, I want you to preach. And maybe that's why it took the death of Uzziah for Isaiah to see. Wouldn't it be sad for some of you that don't know how to stay in your lane? Wouldn't it be sad if God had to take you out of your family before the rest of us or your church? before the rest of us could see the Lord high and lifted up? Wouldn't it be sad, young person, if it would take you moving out of your house to, for us to see the Lord high and lifted up? But can I tell you, you don't have to end like Uzziah. You can get back into your lane and you can say, God, where you call me, I'm surrendering. I'm going to worry about my family. I'm going to worry about my home. I'm going to get back to my Sunday school class. I'm going to get back to my position in the choir. I'm not going to worry about anybody else. I am going to be marvelously helped, and I'm going to do it whether I'm weak or strong. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe you're here tonight and God has put his finger on something in your life. Maybe there's some area of your life you've been frustrated, you've been discontent, you didn't know what to do, and you tonight are surrendering saying, oh God, I'm done complaining. Listen to me, every complainer in the Bible, unless they got back into their own lane, they saw some troubled times. Can I implore you tonight, oh my friend, let's get our hearts back in tune with God. Let's watch, let's get back in our own lanes and watch God send revival.